Welcome to the Reclaim Your Rise podcast. My name is Lauren Bongiorno, nationally board certified health coach and founder and CEO of Risely Health, where we help people and families impacted by type 1 diabetes take ownership over their lives so that they can transform with more freedom and confidence. Everyone has a different reason to be here. You might be seeking knowledge, support, or community, but at your core, I know that you long for something deeper. You're here for transformation. And that's what the Reclaim Your Rise podcast is all about. When I was away on this retreat, you know, you give away all your technology. So you give them your phone and, and everything. So there's no access to the internet. And I'd gotten my phone back and I'd come home and I'd actually stayed off TikTok and Instagram and all that for probably a month or so after, after I got back. But I'm thinking these thoughts about my diabetes and you were actually one of the first stories that had popped up um, on my Instagram feed when I finally opened the app. And I was like, God, okay, fine. All right. I am choosing to trust that this message is going to reach the people who need it most. If you are someone who is currently feeling drained and exhausted and terribly frustrated by your diabetes physically, it could be mentally, emotionally, and you know that if you just had the right support and education and tools and roadmaps that it could be incredibly transformational, not just for your diabetes, but for your entire life. I'm excited to share that the September Decide and Conquer group coaching bootcamp is open for enrollment. Yes, the DCB is Risley's 12 12-week signature coaching program for women with type 1 diabetes who are feeling discouraged and overwhelmed and are craving more confidence and empowerment in their lives. Over 270 women have graduated from this program over the years, and they all were once where you're sitting exactly right now, on the sidelines, listening to stories of other people changing their lives with diabetes, wondering how they actually did it and if it's possible for themselves too. This moment right now, deciding to apply and do this for yourself could be a moment that you look back on as a catalyst for your entire life changing. The last day to apply is Wednesday, August 31st, but this is the last program of 2022. So definitely apply sooner than later because we are already one third of the way full. And after you apply, look out for an email within 24, 48 hours max from Coach Jess with a link to book an enrollment call if we think that you'll be a good fit for the program. So I'll put the link in the show notes below so you can learn more and apply to the DCB. And I hope to see you in the program. And who knows, maybe even one day have you as a podcast guest inspiring others with your own transformation. A quick reminder before we start the show that nothing you hear on the Reclaim Your Rise podcast should be a substitute for personalized professional medical advice. Please always consult your physician or other medical professional before making any changes to your diet, insulin dosages, or healthcare plan. We have a complete boss woman on the show today. Jennifer Costello is joining us from sunny California and is here to share her hilarious personality, stories from living with type 1 diabetes for the past five years, and how surrendering to diabetes ultimately changed her life. I'm so excited for you to hear the changes that she's created in her management and mindset because just three months ago, she was living under a dark cloud and thought that creating the life she's living today was just a dream. 
Jen was diagnosed with type 1 at age 34 at the peak of her career and was really mad and angry and resentful of the diagnosis for a while. Having perfectionism be a thread that ran through her entire life, she couldn't understand why diabetes wasn't playing by the normal life rules of, if I just apply myself, I'll be able to crush this. But now she's here today on the other side of learning to work with her diabetes and has a 40% increase in her time and range from three months ago. So she went from 30% time and range on average to now 70%. And not only that, but she has a level of trust with her body that she's never felt before. So in this discussion, which is really wide ranging, we talk through how she went from resisting her type one to getting excited to look at her numbers and progress, the infamous mac and cheese pre-bolus gone wrong story, and how going to a personal development retreat made her realize that diabetes was the last thing on her list that she really needed to work on. One thing I appreciate about Jen, and I think you will too, is that she's constantly getting curious about what her outcomes can be, not what they are, which I believe is a key ingredient to be able to create the life that you want. It's the absolute love of my life to see people who have graduated from our coaching programs actually take ownership of their lives and their diabetes and be able to live with so much more joy and confidence and yeah zest for life so in this case i've been able to bear witness to jen's inspiring transformation through working with her in our may 2022 decide and conquer group coaching program and without further ado here is jen and i talking about her rise we have jen costello in the house jen i am so excited for this conversation i know you are an extremely busy woman so i am so grateful that you're here today with me Hi, LB. It's good to be here. Ah, I just adore you. But I, I, I just like was thinking about how this podcast was going to start and just like the flow of the questions. And I'm just like, I just love your energy and I can't wait to just give you the floor to just share your story. Honestly. I love having a chat with you. I love our chat. Like I'm just here. I'm just here to like girl out. We're here to just like have a moment. I'm into it. Oh, I love it. Okay. So I want to open up with you sharing some moment recently where you reclaimed your rise. Is there anything that comes to mind? I think what's really interesting about that question for me is that it's actually been really difficult over the last couple of months to find a single moment, a single story, a single time, because I feel like I've been building and building on little win after little win. And I've, I've loved that, but you and I were having a chat. Um, I think last week we we're just having a little, little talk about how things were going and how I was feeling as I'm sort of rounding out the last, the last week of the DCB and something really surprised me when you asked me how I felt like how I was feeling. And for the first time, you know, I'm coming up on sort of my five year diabetes diagnosis. And so I felt excited about diabetes. Not in a like, oh, I'm so thrilled that I have this, but I feel excited to keep learning more about me, about what I what I can do, what I don't do, about how to treat myself the best way, about learning more about my body's patterns. And I think what's been really instrumental there has been, you know, it's been the conversation about curiosity and openness and listening and knowing and trusting our bodies. And as I have gotten more in touch with that part of me around my diabetes, I'm like, I'm interested. It's, ta it's She's talking to me and I'm enjoying what she's saying and I want to hear more, <laughs> which I don't know that I would have ever, ever, ever imagined 
saying because for so long it's just been you know it's been a drain it's been a physical drain and an emotional right. drain and it doesn't feel like that right now for the first time oh i love that and you know diabetes isn't i say that on the podcast all the time it's not a sexy topic like it's not like ooh, let's look at my dexcom clarity today i'm excited to open a bottle of wine and dive right in like it's not by nature something that we we want to get excited about so i want to start you know, back with you when you were diagnosed five years ago, I think five years is a really interesting time frame, And I don't know if we've had anybody on the podcast yet who's had it for that kind of period where you still in some ways may feel like it's a new diagnosis because you live so much of your life without diabetes. But at the same time, like you're nowhere near being a seasoned, you know, diabetic by, by any means. So what was it like for you the first, let's say like four years with diabetes? Like how was your relationship to it in the mm. beginning? What did that look like? And even more importantly, like what stage of your life were you at when you were diagnosed? Like what was going on in Jen's world? Mm. Oh my gosh. I'm going to try to not use the colorful language that I use when we, when we talk most frequently, I'm going to try to keep it clean here. We don't like... have an explicit rating yet. So Jen, don't be the yeah, first okay. one. <laughs> Like, Lauren, I was mad. I was mad when I was diagnosed. I was PO'd, pissed, you know, f find, find the biggest version of that. That's how I felt. So what was happening for, for me at that time? So I was 34. I was just beginning. So I work, I work in a creative, um, I work in a creative agency. So a marketing and branding agency. And I would just, I was just beginning to the point where I'd really moved out of even management into leadership, leadership of the agency. Um, and leadership of a department. And so things were going honestly pretty, pretty well for me at work. And I was in a really, like I was in a very busy season. One of the things that's part of our business is doing pitches. You know, so you go out and you really pitch to try to get a big account or a big brand. We were out there pitching for a very large account. Like I'm talking, I'm talking um, eight figures worth, which is kind of uncommon in my world. So it was a really big, high stress moment, a lot going on, a lot was riding on it. And about that time, like at the beginning of the pitch, it's sort of funny. I'd made the decision to go plant-based to just eat vegan because I'm like, I want to feel good in my body. I want to feel quite clean. Like I really want to treat this like the machine that I needed to be. Um, <laughs> that I needed to be at, at work. And I was losing weight fast. Like I was losing, I think I lost, oh, at the end of the day, I think I lost almost 30 pounds and it was coming off quickly. And I'm like, go veganism, go plant-based. Like this is, what, <laughs> this is what it's all about. This is, how we, this is how we get skinny, pretty and smart. So I was enjoying that. But at the same time, I was not feeling good at all. My let, you know, I was walking around all day, just bone tired, no matter how much I slept, no matter how much I ran, no matter how clean I was eating. I felt like my legs were full of sand. They were, you know, it was just, I just wasn't feeling right. But I kept chalking this up to, this is an important moment in my career right now. Like I'm leading a pitch as leadership of the agency. I'm stressed because I, I'm aware of what the stakes are. That's what's going on. I'd had a couple dizzy periods, a couple dizzy spells at work. And I'm like, girl, you just need to have a little water, go to bed. Maybe you're just getting old. I'm 34. I'm like, you're just getting old. This is just what happens. <laughs> We finally get to this final pitch and, you know, we didn't get it, just P.S. Um, but we finally got to this final pitch meeting and I stood up and I'm I'm pretty calm, usually under, you know, under duress and while presenting. I stood up, my entire field of vision went black. 
I completely forgot what I was supposed to. Like, I just, I choked. People like my boss and people that were there were like, no, no, you, you know, you said things. I don't think you, I don't think you looked how you felt like you looked. But in my mind, like I said, my, I was dizzy. My field of vision went black. I forgot what I had to say. And I sat back down in that moment and I texted, I texted my husband and I'm like, I need to go see Dr. Ramji. I need to go see my doctor because there's some, you know, there's something going, there's something going on here. I think what's so interesting about that though, is I explained every bit of it away. My body was just screaming at me to pay attention. She's like, look at me, listen to me, hear me, girl. Like you, you're a healthy plant-based running many miles every week person. And I'm like, mm. That's okay. I'm blacking out in the middle of a work presentation. I'm just getting old. Like this is the the explanation I made. So, anyway, you know, I I finally get I finally get diagnosed. I'm I'm getting insulin and my brain is clear for the first time in a really long time. And at first, I was I felt so great. Like I felt such relief because I felt my personality come back. I felt my clarity of thought come back. I felt my like I just felt a bit more like I did before. But that very quickly turned to what, you know, I think is, is real grief, like real grief. I was mad. It's funny because I was cleaning out a bunch of documents here at the house um, not too long ago. And I found this PowerPoint presentation that I'd made for my first endocrinologist appointment. And all of my slot, like I'd collected all my data, everything I was eating, my weight, you know, I'd done all this stuff. And every question I had was about what could I do for this to not be true? Is there something that I can eat to turn this around? Because I, I didn't even understand at that moment the difference between type two and type one. What can I eat to turn this around? How can I not be dependent on insulin? Because the very idea of being dependent on a medicine felt just suffocating to me. I was, it felt suffocating. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, I travel, I work, I, you know, I have a life. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want this for me. So I was bargaining. I was bargaining, bargaining, bargaining. And I remember my endocrinologist, she was like, huh, interesting. She's like skinny, losing weight, high A1C and a type A woman. Interesting. She's like, you're going to really have a hard time with diabetes. And I was like, what? So that ended up being probably my emotional and mental state, if I'm being really honest, for the next three years, which is I moved out of being actively angry because I, you know, I, I certainly went through periods where I was really afraid, really afraid. I was afraid of what it meant for me long term. I was afraid of what it meant for what I could and couldn't do. I was afraid for messing it up because perfectionism is a little streak that runs through, runs through my personality. And that was, that was the very beginning. And after that though, what ended up happening for me, because I have a desperate desire to always be independent is I was really, I think rebellious is probably the only word I would use. I was, I was resistant. I didn't want this to be true. So I was going to give my diabetes the bare minimum of attention. I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be negligent. I wasn't going to not give myself insulin. I wasn't going to not carb count. But I certainly wasn't going to go above and beyond. I certainly wasn't going to be interested in reading about diabetes or being friends with other people that had type 1 because that's not me. I'd lived 34 years and had a personality and a career and an identity that had nothing to do with diabetes. And so I spent so much time trying to make it not be true. 
And when it was with my endocrinologist, I tried to make it not be true by asking her what I could do for probably the first three or four meetings I had with her for me, for this to not be my reality, for me to not be dependent on insulin. And the answer was just like, there's, there is nothing. And so when I realized that that wasn't a path, I started doing that in my personal life where, you know, we had CDs that were like, yeah, eat whatever you want. And I'm like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm not going to learn about nutrition. I'm not going to learn about fat. I'm going to give myself insulin. And if my blood sugar goes high, that's just what happens because I'm not letting this control me. And the sad, you know, not the sad thing, but I think the learning, the learning there is that diabetes took up more of my life because of that. It took up more energy and more space because of that active resistance rather than finally learning to like embrace it and live with it and listen to it. Mm. It's a really long ramble. This is wow. That was everything. And I'm so <laughs> glad that you rambled. I, it is so interesting to hear what was going on through your head and how you can identify now that what it was in that grieving mm. process is that bargaining of like, like, I'm not, I'm not accepting this. Like I'm not accepting this because being a perfectionist, you know, in so many other areas of your life that it's like, if something isn't good enough, you're like, well, I'm not accepting that. Like I'm going to do better and I'm going to figure out a way around and figure out how to make this an A plus, not just an A yeah. or an A minus. So there was a time that you and I have done a lot of work around where you had a very bad blood sugar incident happen when you were eating out. Where in that, like, you're, 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 I could see your face right now and you're like, oh, I almost forgot about that. Like, it's like the whole quarter sort of literally like everything. <laughs> the infamous mac and cheese incident. Yeah. Yep. I will never forget. The infamous mac and cheese incident. If I can't think of a title for this episode, that's what we're just going to call it. It's like, it won't be great for SEO, but it'll just be <laughs> the infamous mac and cheese moment and Jen. Um, so where, what year did that happen with your diagnosis? Like where in the process did that happen? And were you in the same state that you just described where you were in this, like, I'm kind of accepting it, but doing the bare minimum talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So this was probably, I mean, this is, I hadn't even been diagnosed for a year when this happened. So this was maybe a couple, a couple months in. So my husband and I had, we were preparing to go to a concert, which is a thing that we love to do. We're here in LA. We like to go see shows. So we're like, okay, right. We're going to go to the show. We're going to be normal. We're going to have fun, capital F. So we're going to go out to eat beforehand. And we were at a restaurant in a part of town that we were not really familiar with. And I'm like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. So I was like, right, mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese. This is great. Um, Because there was a little bit of time right before this where I was like, okay, I'm mad about diabetes. Then I'm like, I'm going to restrict everything I eat. Not going to, I'm going to not do carbs and see if that changes anything. That didn't change anything. So I'm here in this moment where I'm like, right, we're going to have cheesy carbs and it's going to be great. So... (laughs) We ordered, I'm just, it's just it's such a moment. It's like, I ordered this food. So I ordered this mac and cheese, this restaurant, this busy restaurant that we've never been to. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be here. It's going to be here quickly. This, this food will be here soon. And it's going to be, it's going to be all good in the hood. So I'm like, all right, I've read online some people talking about pre-bolusing, you know, injecting before your food comes. Maybe tonight's the night. I'll try that because that's, this is a perfect moment to try it in a place we've never been with a food I've never eaten. You know, I haven't eaten months and a, and a part of town. I don't know. Great. This is good. What's the worst that could happen? So I think I injected, I got out like figwe and I, I looked at um, how many carbs it might be. And I think I gave myself somewhere between eight and 10 units of insulin, just right there before the food had even showed up at the table for mac and cheese. And it doesn't come. It doesn't come. And I'm getting nervous. 
and my blood sugar is falling and it's falling fast. And I think I was at like 170 or 160 going into the meal. So a little bit high, but not super high. And at that time I'm on the freestyle Libre, which is a little bit has a, for me, at least I found it had a little bit of a lag for the versus the Dexcom and didn't come. And I, I start to flip out. I start to really get panicked. I'm in a public space that I don't know. My husband's like, you're fine. And I'm like, I'm going to lose my mind right now because no one's listening to me. Nobody knows what's happening. And I'm like, you need to go find somebody and get me orange juice right now. And it wasn't until probably the second time where I was like, I I, I don't think that I actually grabbed him by the shirt, but in my, like I was sort of like a mentally emotionally grabbed him by the shirt. I'm like, go get me the juice, go get it now. He's like, Oh, this is serious. Got it. He got me juice. I mean, I think I probably drank four glasses of orange juice at this like very nice restaurant. And then I'm like, I'm going to die. This is it. This is how it goes down for me. Take me to the hospital. So like we have, ba- you know, I don't, he, I think he paid the check. We go, we go, we find a cedar Sinai. We end up just sitting in the, cause at this time my blood sugar is finally beginning to come up. And we're sitting in the hospital or in the wait or in the parking lot of the emergency room. And I'm just, I mean, I feel like I've just run a marathon. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm sweating. I've cried. My makeup is gone. You know, it was just like, he's like, so do you go to the show? I'm like, I guess. guess. (laughs) He's like, so can we, can we go get our money's worth or like, are we staying here all night? Did you go to the show? We did. We went to the show. I sat there. I sat in my seat with my arms crossed the whole time. And just, I think I might've enjoyed myself a little bit at the very end, but I was, I mean, I felt like I had a near death experience. I probably wasn't really ever near real danger, but I didn't know my diabetes or myself or what insulin did well enough to know what was about to happen. So that kicked Mm. off an entire period for me too, of just like pre-bolus was terrifying. Pre-bolus meant bad things could happen. Pre-bolus meant, meant that. Right. It actually showed you in that moment that, wow, if I, I'm in charge of deciding how much insulin I'm getting at every time I eat. And if I'm off and with the timing, with the amount, this is this is puts can put me in danger and probably made that very real for you. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, I mean, every, I want to say everybody with type 1 diabetes can relate to that, whether you're newly diagnosed or not. I mean, there were times when I've taken like pump breaks and went back on MDI and have mm. accidentally given, you know, 15 units instead of long acting insulin or fast acting insulin after like, you know, on first thing in the morning when I'm like, I'm not going to have a hundred carbs for breakfast or 150 carbs, whatever it would be for yeah. me. Um, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then the arrows are coming and it's like, oh, here, you know, know, we need the juice. Give me the, all the, you know, everything. So it, and it, and it puts things into perspective. I'm curious. And I don't know an answer to this. Is your husband Ben, is he on Dexcom share after that? He, oh yes, absolutely. He's, he's on, when I, okay. when I got on Dexcom, I put my mom and my husband on it. Mom was very quickly rejected from Dexcom share. Cause every, you know, every moment, was oh, Dex, no. but um, Binda, yeah, my husband is, I, I travel a lot for work and I travel a lot internationally. And so it actually feels a bit safe for me to know that there's somebody else that might be getting an alert if I'm going, if I'm going low and he doesn't abuse it, which is good. Yeah. There's, there's rules, there's boundaries. There's, there's boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. That's, right. that's how it is with Chris too. And you know, actually really funny story. So I was at a diabetes conference in Baltimore this past weekend and Chris is on my Dexcom share because about three years ago, I had an incident using mm-hmm. inhalable insulin similar to what you had, where I was like, I had no idea how powerful it was and how 
like I, I just, I'm, I did it after working out. So my lungs were more, you know, yeah. had just been working and that hit, I've never dropped faster. And that kind of freaked me out. So he went on it. But this weekend I was away at, and in, in the hotel, we were, you know, having dinner, drinks out. And I had like a two thirty in the morning low and I was like 50 and you know, mm-hmm. I, I woke up, treated it or whatnot. I think it was like 50 or 52. I woke up at, I treated it. And then in the morning time, I realized that Chris had texted me and he had, you know, texted me like, Hey babe, like, are you okay? Like you're low. And I never answered because I sleep with my phone sometimes again, <laughs> I guess like do not disturb or whatever didn't go through. And I woke up in the morning. I was like, I didn't answer you back. Like what <laughs> kind of like secondary support are you? If like, <laughs> you're supposed to call me then like there needs to be a backup. Like if you don't hear from me. <laughs> yes. Now, Ben can tell Chris that if you don't respond, there is a nuclear option where you call the hotel, you find the room number, and you get right. patched through to the phone. Like, you got to be persistent, my man. Right. He knew, he knew you right. had it handled. Ben, if you're listening right now, you're going to about to be on my Dexcom share. <laughs> Chris, you're out. Ben, you're in. <laughs> But I was laughing about it because I'm just like, I love that he texted me, but like the follow through is was the, probably the most important part. But, you know, thank God I was okay. And I, you know, I've never had like a really, really scary incident. But anyways, I really am curious, like now you're at this stage, you have this load that made you more kind of probably run higher. Is that, is that right? Like more on the higher side because oh, yeah. you were afraid of the lows. Yeah. So running more on the higher side ironically enough, when I met you, you know, six months ago or a little bit less, your A1C was a 6.9, which on paper, it's like, great. Like, all right, she's a little afraid of lows, like not too bad, but your time in range was 30%. Yeah. So what happened between like year one and year like four where with your numbers and how I guess you, you know, tried to figure out and educate yourself on how much insulin to give and when to give it and all of that. Mm. I think one of the the ways that I have explained that what you just described, which is like on paper, a pretty decent A1C, but only 30% time and range is like, I'm all over the shop. You know what I mean? I am up and down like, and I'm, you know, I'm still working on that variability. You and I were talking about this last week. I can't remember exactly what that number, that variability, that deviation number was when I first started on DCB, but I want to say it was in the seventies or eighties. Yeah. Like I was bouncing around all over the place. So when I think about what what happened to me in between then, I mean, I, I started to invest in technology. When I first, when I was first diagnosed, I really didn't want anything on my body. I didn't want to pump. I didn't want to see GM. I went to the Freestyle Libre first because I thought it was the most, you know, some low profile version of those things. I eventually was like, okay, I, I'm not, I'm not taking the time to do the injections, to do the finger sticks. So I thought, okay, let me just find, let me finally make it, make it easier on myself. There's a real big difference between 34 and 36 or 37. I'm like, eh, what are we going to do? Let's just put something on our bodies. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. So I think technology helped me a lot because it did help me respond quicker rather than not having access to that information um, because I'd have to do a finger stick. So that helped me. I, you know, what's kind of funny is that I actually felt like I, I was a pretty compliant patient. You know, I went to my endocrinologist appointments. I tried to carb count. I, you know, I followed, I followed people like you on Instagram and Rob Howe. Like I, I certainly followed other type ones that were sharing information about how to be, how to be better. I think Lauren, I want to say, I think you were literally my very first follow after I came out and was, was diagnosed. Like I think you were the first, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was, um, 
I had a call with you to do one-on-one coaching at the, when I would like probably back in 2017 or 2018, when I was first diagnosed, I ended up not doing one-on-one coaching partially because your girl was like, eh, I'll figure this out. This won't be that hard. It, you know what I mean? And so I, Wait, we, I, we had a call. I, we didn't do the coaching, but I followed you for a long time after that. I don't even remember that. I mean, we, I talked to a lot of people, but I, I usually can remember yeah. That's crazy. So you said I can do this on my own. Like that was your outcome of what you said? Oh yeah. I was like, this is just going to be mind over matter. This is going to be logical. This is going to be rational. I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to follow some people. And you know what? Just like in every other aspect of my life, if I apply myself well enough, I will make this thing my, you know, I will crush this. I will own this diabetes thing and it'll be, it'll be a funny ha ha thing that, that just, I happen to have, but it won't be a big deal. Wow. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just what do we do with that? That was 2017. What do we do with that? That was 2017. Yeah. I want to say it was either 2017 or 2018. Okay. So that was a while ago. Yeah. So you felt like, okay, I need help with this. Then you were like, well, like maybe yeah. I just need to apply myself. Like you said more. Now what happened in the application of yourself? Like would you, were you reading books, blogs, or just following and kind of trying to pick up tips and tricks? Were you, you know, implementing them or were you just learning? If I'm being really honest with myself, I was probably consuming information more than I was applying it. But what I really focused on was honestly on the nutrition part of things. And I, that's where I started to get a relationship with like good foods and bad foods. You know, good foods were low carb, no sugar, and a lot of really good things like whole fruits and vegetables, all, all that. But bad foods became brown rice, barley, um, certain kinds of fruits, bananas, like that I started to create in my mind sort of this like sorting mechanism of what different foods were. And so I was, what I was really focusing on was purely the food part of it, really the nutrition part of it. And a lot of what I told myself was, I'm just not very good at carb counting. I'm just not very good at seeing, at guessing how many carbs I'm not very good at only, you know, I'm, I'm eating more or eating less than I, than I thought I would, or that I bullished for. And so I was really attacking it at a purely like a linear, rational numbers in numbers out kind of way and still ignoring my body, still ignoring the messages from my body, still ignoring how I felt and ignoring a lot of, a lot of the patterns that I might, I might notice in myself, how I felt after I ate a certain food or didn't eat a certain food, but complete, complete, like I will own this if I just have enough information about how many carbs are in everything. And if I get my, if I get that carb counting right, mm, we will be fine. And that was clearly not the case. And like you said, not because my A1C wasn't terrible, because I was a roller coaster. I was up, I was down, I was correcting, I was low, then I was at 400, then I'm at 50. And that was a pretty common day for me, for my Dexcom chart to just look like a W all day. Hmm. Well, if you think about it, it, and it is so important to realize if you go into the bookstore or, you know, you're on Amazon, you're looking through like if you type in diabetes, the first, whatever, 50 books that come up are like diet, 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 diet. Like, okay, don't diet with diabetes, but eat this, don't eat that. Like, it's just all the books are to support the food end of things. So of course, when you get diagnosed, like that's what you think is the solution is like, as soon as I figure out my quote unquote, like foods I can eat and cannot eat, or like what diet's going to work for me or how to count 
you know, carbs better, like that's going to solve the problem. And that's where we're misled. There are, of course, more books now that focus on more of the mindset and the psychology of diabetes, which we're, you know, evolving in that sense, but we're still missing a huge subset of literature Mm -hmm. on the holistic model this is, I'm going to listen back to this one day, hopefully when I have a book maybe on that because we need to create it. Somebody has to. But for you, like when did you have that aha moment? Like when was it like, all right, I've been doing this for mm. long enough. I can't sustain this anymore. Like this is not the solution. I need to figure out a different way. I can't think of anyone better to write this book than you. <laughs> it's got to be you. It's got to be you. It's got to be you. Aww. So for me, what was, it was funny because I'd actually, I wasn't working. I wasn't focusing on my diabetes. Actually, I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't working on it, but I had, again, I'd gotten another promotion at work. And a big part of the thing I was working on with my executive coach was about being very candid in difficult situations. So really telling people, you know, what was, what needed to happen and and not sugarcoating or, or leaving any room for for interpretation, really being candid. And so I was finding that through that exploration, I was actually excavating a lot of sort of personal stuff, you know, things from my childhood, things from my upbringing, things that told me that I needed to be a certain, a certain way, a nice, a nice girl, a polite woman. And so I thought, you know what, I think I need a little bit more help to really, really get as candid as I, as I need to be, as my job is telling me I need to be in this, in the setting. And so I went to a, um, I went to a personal retreat called the Hoffman Institute. And it's, it's basically, it's, they call it um, like 10 years of therapy in one week. And it's all about just really learning your, it's learning your emotional patterns. It's learning how you think and how that stops you from having the life you want. And so, you know, I came out, it was a really important um, experience for me. And I came out of it with so much clarity about parts of my upbringing that I was still letting hold me back, that I was still allowing to have a hold on me, even though those were patterns that no longer served me. They didn't support me. They didn't make my life better. And I finally started to hone in on the diabetes component as part of that equation of things, of ways of thinking and patterns of thought that I had that were just negative and they weren't good for me because I still was mad. I was mad about diabetes still. I was upset about it. I was afraid still. You know, I might show up and be a bit tough and type A and be like, yeah, I'll conquer you. I'll crush you. Um, but at the end of the day, I was afraid. I was, I'm, you know, it's me freaking out in a restaurant chugging orange juice when the mac and cheese didn't come. I was scared. I was scared of it. And so I was carrying that around. I was carrying that sort of dark, you know, dark stone around in my gut all day long. And I finally thought, you know, I can see in my Dexcom, I can, I can look at that W that was on my, on my chart and say, I know how I was feeling then. I know when I'm in the middle of a double arrow fall from 300 to 50, I can't do what I need to do at work. I can't show up and be really candid or be really present for someone in my department. I can't help them solve a problem to my fullest extent. I'm not bringing my whole self to this party because in the back of my mind, diabetes is this dark, fearful area of resentment. And so I was like, okay. I got like, this is probably for me, the final frontier of really getting to a place where I'm letting go of old patterns. I'm letting go of those things that don't serve me. And it's funny because I was, um, when I was away on this retreat, you know, you give away all your technology. So you give them your phone and, and everything. So there's no access to the internet. 
And I'd gotten my phone back and I'd come home and I'd actually stayed off TikTok and Instagram and all that for probably a month or so after, after I got back. But I'm thinking these thoughts about my diabetes and you were actually one of the first stories that had popped up um, on my Instagram feed when I finally opened the app. And I was like, God, okay, fine. Like, I was just sort of like, fine. Okay. All right. I know this, I know Lauren Bajorno is into this space and I'm just like, all right, universe, I hear you. I'm listening. I'm here for this. We're, we're going to do it. And so I applied right away to DCB. Okay. We need to take a pause. I've never shared this before, but like, I literally have full body chills. So was I, oh my God, I, li- I literally can get emotional about this. So you applied during while we were launching and talking about the program, obviously. So that means we were in launch mode, yeah. right? Okay. So before every launch starts, we usually go through for the Decide and Conquer Bootcamp because we have so many people who apply. We usually have, you know, like a five to six week period where people can apply and then um, join the program. And before everyone starts, I do like on the day of this big meditation, this big like journaling exercise. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I literally like write down and I say over and over again is I don't chase, I attract like who's meant to find me and find this program will. Like it's a mantra that I always come back to because that's how I want to show up is like not to feel like people have to do this program or they like have to come through the DCB to transform their life. There's, you know, just finding something. But if somebody happens to find me and like we call them in through talking about the DCB and sharing people's stories, then like that's what's meant to be. So we had this probably weird like energetic connection thing going on where you were just at this, you know, retreat focused on yourself and self-development and probably like, yeah, tuned into what what's my next step. And then you come back, turn Instagram on, and I'm over here being like, whoever's meant to come through this program is going to find us and is going to you know change their life. And it just happened. Wow. I love that. I think it's, I mean, the the idea of attraction rather than promotion, I think is such a powerful, and you know, I say this as someone who works in marketing and branding, um, I think attraction is so powerful. And I, I certainly feel that in the work that you and all of your coaches do, because it's also not a single way. It's not a single program. It's asking us to tune into ourselves mm-hmm. and to li- you know, to the knowing, to the patterns, whatever your, your version of that is. So I love that. I know you've been this like weird, like this sort of ever present force, if you will, in much of my diabetes life. And then it's like when we were like, all right, we're going to talk. I was like, oh, wow talk. You're like, we're going to talk and we're going to do it. But the fact that we talked previously showed that like you weren't mm-hmm. open and you weren't ready at that time because- I wasn't ready. You weren't ready yeah. because I want you to think about, and I want you to talk about now, like how the program has like completely changed your relationship with diabetes numbers and beyond yeah. that. Like that change anybody would say, and you'd probably say like, yeah, magic wand. I wish I had that in 2017, but- if I went through the program then, maybe I wouldn't have been so open to learn and to change and to mm-hmm. think the way that I am now because I'm on the other side of this like personal development transformation. And then this was the final step. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is very true. I wasn't ready in 2017 or 2018. I was still in the very beginning stages of grief and bargaining and anger and all that. I think this would have been completely, completely wasted on me. But once I had gone through a process where I had really honed my ability to listen to myself and to trust myself, 
it made me realize how much I wanted that in my diabetes. Like I'd learned to trust myself when it came to my thoughts, my feelings, my perspective on my life, what I needed, what I wanted, what I needed to say at work. I'd, I'd gotten there. And I wanted that so bad in diabetes in a way that I felt like I was so busy outsourcing what was right for diabetes to other people, you know, to influencers, to endocrinologists, to CDs. I was like, what do I do? Tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll be compliant. But I wasn't owning it. It wasn't part of me. I treated it like an external thing to be managed rather than a part of me to listen to and to be curious and to be kind of tender towards, if I'm being honest, hopefully this might be a little bit mushy for people, but I think you have to be a little tender towards your diabetes. I think you, while I might not love her, like I don't love her in the sense that I'm glad she's here every day. She's also just part of me. It's not who I am, but it's a part of me that when I, when I pay attention to it and when I listen and when I get curious and when I study it, it comes back to me a hundredfold. And I think that to me has been the most magical part of the DCB and working with the with you and with the coaches. And of course, this is all supplemented by a great killer foundation of education. And in particular, the education that we often don't get from, from the internet, from, from our doctors, learning about what parts of nutrition to really pay attention to, learning about hormones and cycles and, and everything like that. But at the end of the day, Anybody can learn anything, but I think the most, the most significant thing that you all teach is that listening and is that tapping into that inner, inner knowing. And for me, that transformation has been from anger, resistance, resentment, you know, this was an uninvited guest in my life that was going to ruin it to something that I feel like I said, I feel, I feel feelings for, I feel, um, tender is the only word I keep coming up with that word because it's just, it's how I, it's how I treat it. It's deserving of me putting my arms around it and thinking about what it needs and what it wants. Because when I do that, like when I nourish that part of myself, I nourish me, I nourish all of me. And that has just, I mean, that to me is a revelation. Like that has been the revolutionary part of this. Very much what I'm hearing you say too, and to connect it back to the beginning when you were saying that how you approached diabetes in the beginning was very linear. It was very, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Perfectionist. Just, yeah. I will follow the lines that doesn't work with diabetes and you have to surrender to more of that less masculine, more feminine energy of, yeah, just kind of, it's, it's surrendering to what it really takes, yes. which is grace and compassion and, you know, slowing down mm. and accepting and love being yourself with diabetes. Mm -hmm. So that's all the, you know, quantifiable. And we have to talk about like the quantify, the, the, uh, quantifiable, the, what am I missing? The, the numbers, the hard numbers. Quantified? Quantified. Like more of the, yeah, the, more yeah. of the hard well, numbers. The, the, the quantitative data. There we go. Quantitative was what I was reaching for. I love that we switched accents midway through the program and midway through the podcast. Um, but yeah, you came in with 30% time and range and I want to read you back. So these were the three goals that you set when you came into the program. So you wanted to double your time and range from 30% to 60%. You wanted to trust your instincts and what your body is telling you, approaching with more curiosity and confidence and less judgment and fear. And third, you wanted to feel more integrated and complete around your diabetes and less resistance and more acceptance. So number two and number three, like you just spoke about, you check that off, but 
double your time and range goal. So when you said 30 to 60%, like, did you actually think that you could do it? Did you think that that was like a reach, a stretch? Like when you set that goal? No, it's in my mind that that was like, that was a snowball's chance in hell moment. Like there was no way that I would ever get to 60% because that would be, that would be more time in range than out of range. And that simply, I just couldn't imagine a world where that was, that was the truth. It's funny because you, I love the word surrender, which I think to your, I think can sound a bit, a bit soft, maybe weak, you know, you're giving up. And I think surrender has been such a powerful thing to change the numbers game for me. Cause I think I was just, you were, we were also talking about how like, oh yeah, no, it's not sexy to look at your, um. Dexcom, like I like to open my clarity every couple of days and I'm like, Hey, what are, you, what are you doing? I mean, I see you. I mean, it's true because my, I'm into it. Do it right now. Because I mean, listen, I did it. I, we looked over it last week, but like you're above 60% time and range and we're not even done with the program yet. We still have, you know, a little ways to go. So where are you at? My last two days is 76% time and range. My last seven days is 76% time and range. The last 14 and 30 are 68 and 69. Okay. Oh my goodness. Like doesn't just show it's a one-off. Like it's consistently you're showing up in that way because of the changes that you've made. Yeah. It's, I love every, I love every bit of it because it is, while it's not, it's what it's not is perfect because it's not a hundred percent Lauren. And the, uh, another version of me would have so much judgment about that. You know, cause even when I was at 30, I was just like judgy, wudgy little bear. And it was like, it was so bad. I was like, I just got a case of the like, whatever's, you know what I mean? It's like, well, it's 30%. So that's, that's, that's nowhere near good. So we're just not going to, whatever. We're just not going to worry about it. I love that 68%, 69%, 72% because it represents 72% of time where I'm like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm feeling integrated and complete around my diabetes. And even the time where I'm above and below that, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I'm not angry about it. I'm learning from it. And I'm listening to it and I'm going, okay, well, this new situation came up that I hadn't had to deal with since we were in DCB. What an amazing chance, stimulus to try something new and to learn from it. Mm. And that's that excitement that you said of how you've reclaimed your rise is getting excited about it. And I, I, I can see it. I can see it coming through and you're, you're looking forward with what else can I do and what else can I accomplish, but also at the same time being happy and content with all the progress that you have made. So um, I would love to wrap up this podcast with one final question. And I think this is, you know, a little bit unrelated to anything that we've talked about, but like yeah. a super important story. So you told me on our last session that you were, and this is a story about advocating for yourself and the importance of that with the medical system. So you told me a, a story about you having this rash on your, like on your ears and at certain parts of like your face for a while now. And you came to the session last week and I was like, what's new and good with you? Like what's going on? And you opened with the excitement about this. You were literally glowing. And I was like, okay, how is this going to, I'm like, great. Love celebrating her for this like achievement with her, you know, skincare, but like, how is this going to connect back to your diabetes? And so it eventually came full circle and you talking about like, no, like advocating for my diabetes, like taught me to advocate in this area. So can you share the story about, um, not the mac and cheese, but the, uh, but the skincare. <laughs> yeah. The, inf the, skincare. the infamous I mean, it's skincare. all connected, Lauren. Skincare, nutrition, it's all here. Yep. 
So yeah, you're exactly right. So for the last couple of years, I had experienced, you know, kind of red, irritated skin, mostly around my eyes and a little bit in my ears. And I had just been ignoring it because that's what I do here. When something is clearly not right, I will just ignore it or I will explain it away. And so I've been, you know, I've been living like this for, I don't know, three or four years. And it was progressively getting worse and having different flare-ups. And the beautiful thing about taking care of my diabetes and learning to advocate for myself is that it's created time and space that I didn't know that I had. So like I've, you know, I've done, I've made a number of improvements in my general like health and wellness life, emotionally and physically. And I looked at myself in the mirror the other day. I'm like, okay, we, what are we doing? Why are we living like this? This isn't normal. I know this isn't correct. And so finally made an appointment with a different kind of dermatologist went in ready to like, just clear and not, um, I think the difference sometimes in advocating for yourself that, um, for me was a real switch. Sometimes I've gone into endocrinologists and been really, I mean, I might even use the word aggressive, you know, really like, all right, like I'm like, I'm going to tell you everything that's going on and I'm going to be really assertive about it. And this was a, like this, this advocacy had a different energy for me because I went in knowing what was wrong being very clear about what I was experiencing and what I hoped to have happen and was also really open to what she was going to tell me. And that was different. That was a different kind of advocacy because it wasn't about, I don't even know what I would say it used to be about in the past, but like I said, it would just be, it would be so dominant almost to the point where I didn't leave room to have the conversation or to question or to challenge or to provoke my doctor to give me more information or different kind of information or to work with me in a different way. And so when I went into this dermatologist, I had this different energy where I was clear and I was candid, but I also was open to her and what she was going to tell me. And so Anyway, at the end of the day, what, what I found out was is something called cerebellic dermatitis. It's another autoimmune thing where my body is like, you know, we've got enough, we have another enemy this time. It's at the top of our eyelids. So we're going to attack, attack that. And she diagnosed it, gave me some medicine. And so that was on a Friday afternoon. And I think you and I had a call on a Tuesday or something. My skin was already so much clearer and I, I felt really good about myself because I had, showed up in that way. I'd shown up in a way that I didn't know was possible for me before, because it was either about being a bit passive and waiting for the doctor to tell me what, what to do, or it was really domineering and aggressive. And I'm going to come in and be the la you know, be really loud. It was a really authentic version for me that was about being clear and candid, but letting her tell me what I needed to know. And, but everything from that interaction to the result of like, I mean, the skin, the skin is it right now. So like, I'm feel, I'm feeling, she's looking good, feeling good. I know I'm into it. I'm into it. So listen, you need to jump on. I learned in DCB. Yeah. And, and, and it means to cut you off, but it's, I'm like, you need to first jump on TikTok and make a video. It's going to go viral. Like all these, you know, you're like, my skin has glowed because you are like a poster child for literally like skincare right now and like figuring out the root. But it's interesting because yeah, those are the things you learned in the DCB mm -hmm. because at Rise that we have more so internally than even like externally. We don't talk about it as much, but we have seven points that are our community manifesto. And these are things that us on our coaching team, like we live by and what we encourage the community to live by. But the interesting thing is, you know, the way you do one thing in life, I'm a true believer is like how you do everything in life. And one of the community manifesto points is get curious about what your outcomes can be, not what they are. 
And so you went into that doctor's appointment with like, Hey, like I, I don't want to accept this. And I'm really curious, like how, what would it take in order to create a change with something that I'm unhappy with right now or make it a little bit better. And because you were open to, to that and living through that, like that's, you know, you found that solution. So I'm so happy for you and you're glowing. (laughs) I feel like, you know, I feel like a happy girl. I really do feel like I've got kind of a different new lease on life and not one of those short-term versions that'll go, you know, go away like a good vacation tan. But these feel like big, you know, big seismic internal moves and they're muscles. And the more, the more I exercise them, the the stronger they feel and the better I feel the results. I'm glad you can see it on the, on the outside because I certainly feel it on the inside. Heck yes. Okay. Well, Jen, I would love you to leave with one piece of advice that you have for somebody living with type one diabetes who is extremely just like busy. They're just like a boss in one area of their life, whether it's, you know, as a parent or as a, you know, a caregiver or in their work and career, and they're struggling to see how like making more time for diabetes can create a different life for themselves? Like what would your, going through that, what would your piece of advice for them be? I would say to know that you are an expert in yourself as much as those external experts are in their fields. And what I mean by that is when we listen to ourselves, like really tune in to the message from our body and make space for that, it is Like it is an amazing giving mechanism that's going to return so much information. And the more that we can sort of, um, instead of outsourcing care for ourselves, insource it, like knowing that we've got more answers than we think we do. I think that's been huge. And if I get really practical, pre-bolus, just pre-bolus, give your insulin 10 minutes to get there before your food does. Just know, but read the context, read the signs you know, really, really make sure that you're doing it the right way. But um, the most practical tip, honestly, that has made one of the most significant differences in my time and range has been pre-bolusing, but doing it, doing it the right way. Not at a busy restaurant with the food I've never eaten or haven't eaten in months. And giving eight to 10 units before you don't know when the food is coming out. (laughs) I'm going to eat 120 carbs worth of mac and cheese. Listen, some of those apps are just, you know, like not, and plus, well, you know, we talk about this, this is for another episode, but taking into account the fat and the this and the that and yeah, how right. your insulin absorption at the time. So, so many different factors. I would love for you to go back to that restaurant, bolus for that mac and cheese, have it, and then be like, I'm reclaiming my mac and cheese infamous story. That's, That's my the like, TikTok. homework for you. That's the TikTok. Forget the skincare. That's the TikTok. I like that. I like that better. All right. So everybody tune in to see Jen do that and conquer and and reclaim her rise with her mac and cheese. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Do you want to plug your creative agency just in case anybody out there is is listening? Sure. Um, So I am the chief strategy officer at a creative agency in Los Angeles called TBWA Shiat Day. So if you if you need to if you want the treatment that Apple or Gatorade or um, Airbnb have gotten, feel free to to give us a shout or don't. Um, <laughs> we can also just keep talking about mac and cheese. Ah, oh, Jen, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Lauren. Bye bye.